go ahead and grab a seat as we get uh, started here with our study of God's Word. As you heard Ryan read from Deuteronomy today, we're taking a one-week break from the book of Exodus to do something a little different. So I want to invite you to turn there with me now. If you have a Bible or if you need one on the seats in front of you, there should be plenty of Bibles there. And open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, we're still in the Old Testament, but we're taking a one-week break. The rest of the fall, we'll be back in Exodus and just charging on through. But today, we wanted to take one Sunday to think about this uh, new resource that we want to roll out here at FBC called HomePoint. HomePoint. You're going to be hearing more about it today and in the future. It's essentially an initiative designed to help people follow Jesus in their homes and in their families beyond just here on Sunday mornings. This comes from a conviction that in order to faithfully follow Jesus, it has to include our lives beyond Sunday morning. Right? If our faith is real, if our faith in Christ is meaningful at all, then it has to impact our Monday through Saturday. Right? Any reasonable person would agree that that is true, right? If anyone stopped and thought about it, they would say, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. I mean, just do the math, right? Sunday is one day of the week. Monday through Saturday equals six days of the week. Or break it down even further. Sunday morning church equals about one hour of your week, which leaves 167 hours in the rest of your week. And so, right, if you are saying, if we are saying that Jesus is the most central thing in my life, my commitment to him is the most important defining thing about me, then of course, of course, it would have to impact the other six days of the week and the other 167 hours of our week. And yet, sometimes we buy into the assumption that Sunday morning is where the God stuff happens. You know, Sunday morning is where the real spiritual things happen. And the rest of our week, spiritually speaking, is not as significant. Now, of course, Sunday morning is unique. Corporate worship is special. When we gather together, it's important and vital in the life of every Christian. And so I don't want to downplay the significance of what we're doing here right now, but I just want us together to think about what should the rest of our week and life in our homes look like if we're trying to follow Jesus faithfully. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 speaks to, and that's why I want to use it as our guide for the morning. So let's read it again together. You can follow along with me. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. <clears throat> A little bit of context for us as we jump in and study the passage more fully. Deuteronomy is after the book 
of Exodus. It's essentially one big sermon or a set of sermons given by Moses to the people of Israel as they're preparing to enter the promised land. If you've been with us in our study of Exodus, you've seen that the people of God are in slavery in Egypt and God promises to deliver them, to rescue them and lead them to a good land where they will live in freedom and safety and worship God and worship him alone. God promises to raise up a deliverer, Moses, who will lead them out. And again, spoiler alert, we'll fast forward a little bit. God does lead the people out of slavery. He does keep his word and fulfill his promises. And he leads them to the promised land, although there's kind of a detour and a wilderness wandering generation thing for a while, but that's another story. But here then, as we get to Deuteronomy, Moses is older, he's at the end of his life, and he gives this last speech, sermon, teaching, and he delivers it to the people of God as they prepare to enter the promised land, as they prepare to enter this new season of life with God. He wants to remind them of some key truths and some key commands that they are to obey. And so we see the text begin in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. These verses here can sort of be a summary of the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, or really so much of Scripture, right? Getting to the heart of the matter. What does God expect of us or command us to do? First, to love Him, to love Him with all of our heart and soul and strength. These verses here are referred to as the Shema. Has anyone heard that word before? The Shema. It's a Hebrew word that means hear, which you see verse 4 starts with the word hear. It means hear, which is not just like let the sound waves enter your ear. It's not referring just to the physical process of hearing something. It means to hear and obey, right? To hear, to listen, and then act according to what you hear. And so faithful Jews would recite the Shema daily to remember what God expected of them, what God wanted from them. And this is not just an Old Testament thing. We see this command actually repeated in the New Testament. If you think to Jesus and Matthew chapter 22, an expert in the law comes to Jesus and asks him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he quotes Deuteronomy 6. Jesus references the Shema, saying, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, Jesus adds, and strength. And so it starts with a declaration that the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is the only one. This is an exclusive claim. And then we are commanded to love this God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus says. We could break down those four terms more fully. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart versus your soul? And what does it mean to love the Lord with your mind or your strength or your your body? Things like that. And it, it wouldn't be bad to do that. Some studies have broken it down, and that's helpful to think through those categories. We're not going to do that today. I just want to point out that these four categories kind of encompass the totality of our being. We are called to complete devotion to God. 
to love him with everything that we have, with all that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every capacity that we have, every part of us is to be given to him in complete devotion. And I want us to see this because sometimes I think we fall into this mindset today. Some of us maybe here or maybe just out in the world and we think that being a Christian means you believe in God. And we stop there. Like being a Christian means you believe that a God is out there. There's maybe a good God out there, a benevolent being that wants to bless you in some vague way. And we think that's what it means to be a Christian or to be a spiritual person. But that is not the essence of biblical faith or the biblical God that we see in the scriptures. We see a, a personal God, a relational God. And so God does not simply want us to believe that he is out there somewhere, but he calls us to a personal devotion to him. We are called to know God, to love God, to give him our lives and commit our whole selves to him. And so it's not enough to just say God is out there because Deuteronomy 6 even says this is the Lord our God. Verse 5, love the Lord your God. There's this personal language and so it makes us wonder, is the Lord your God? Is he our God or is he just a God, a vague deity out there? Or have we made it personal, where we have committed to this God. He is our God. He has saved us, and so we follow and obey him and him alone. This is relational language. And as we talk more about Home Point and this initiative to see faith cultivated and nurtured in our homes and in our families, we have to first notice and realize that it begins with each of us individually, right? If you're an adult, it begins with you loving Jesus and following him faithfully. Before we talk about passing faith on to our kids, we first have to realize, do we personally follow Jesus? Have we personally given ourselves fully to God? Because we can't give to our kids what we don't have ourselves. You cannot give what you don't have. It's been said before that you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who or what you are. And so if we want our kids to follow Jesus, it's not just enough to teach facts and information about God from the Bible, as important as that might be. We need to live it and model it ourselves. We might reproduce that in others. So we are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That might sound daunting to some of us. Maybe it sounds like a lot of work, difficult, like it's up to us to figure it all out and get it together. It's helpful here then at this point to remember the gospel that yes, we are called to love God, but God has loved us first. As 1 John reminds us, chapter 4 in the New Testament, we love because he first loved us. It's a very simple verse. Clear. We love because he first loved us. And so we remember that God made the first move towards us. We did not go seeking 
God, he came and found us. He moved toward us. He loved us and he showed his love for us on the cross. He died for you and for me. He took the sin of the world upon himself and died in our place so that we could be forgiven, freed from our sin, restored to a right relationship with God, adopted into his family. That's the good news that we celebrate every week, that we are reconciled to God. We are justified before God, not through works, not through our good behavior, not through our earning it, but through the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we remember the gospel. We're not just motivated here towards try harder, do better, be good Christianity. No, we start with the gospel. Look at what God has done for us. Look at how God has loved us. And then from there, we say we then will in response live a life of love and devotion to him and a life of love towards others in our circle. And so the text starts with loving God personally, being devoted to him ourselves. But then look at verse 7. See how it continues. Verse 7. It says, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So impress what? The verse previously talks about the commands of God, the commandments of God, the, the ways of God. We are to impress them upon our children. The word impress here has the idea of forming something or shaping something through repetition. So over and over again, we are to bring the ways of God, the commands of God into our lives so that our children are shaped and formed by them. Repetition over and over, which means that when your kids go, Mom, we get it. We've heard this a hundred times. Or Dad, come on. We've heard this spiel before. Okay, we get it. Oh, you said this over and over. That's actually a good sign. <laughs> it means that you have impressed these things upon your kids. They've heard it so many times that it's become maybe a little worrisome to them. That's a good sign that we are over and over again forming our children into the image of Jesus. The disciples of Jesus are not formed just by church attendance, but when parents teach their kids about God and life in the home. And maybe that sounds strange to some. Maybe you're like, isn't that your job? pastor? Like, or isn't that the church's job? Isn't that why we pay you? Isn't that why we hired Kyle and Lee and all that? Isn't, isn't that up to you? And sometimes we think that way because as a culture, we have outsourced so many things, right? We, education is outsourced. We go to school and teachers teach our kids and we've outsourced uh, training in sports, right? We put them on a team and the coach coaches them and trains them. We've outsourced uh, Music abilities, right? Go to music lessons. We, we, we pay people to teach our kids things or we send our kids places where they will be taught and learn different skills or lessons. And that's not all bad. It's not bad to outsource things necessarily, but it can be harmful when we think that our faith, excuse me, their faith and their spiritual development works the same way. If we think that we can just outsource their spiritual development, send them to church, the pastor, or maybe a, a committed volunteer, they're going to handle that. Then we've misunderstood the call of God on our lives as parents. Because Deuteronomy 6 says it's up to us to impress these truths upon our children. 
to teach them the ways of God. Now, the church that developed the Home Point resources that we're going to point you to after the service, they did some research and they found, this was a number of years ago, but they found that only one out of ten kids from church, from churches, have conversations about Jesus during the week in their homes. It's kind of staggering. Only one out of ten kids from churches had conversations about Jesus and faith in their homes during the week, which means that nine out of ten kids who go to church would show up to church, hear about Jesus, hear about God, and then go home and not hear about Jesus or faith again until they returned to church, either the next week or a few weeks later whenever the family returned. Now, let's say, sometimes I'm skeptical with statistics. I'm like, that, that sounds way too negative, right? Like, there's no way that that's accurate. So let's just, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's just say that as, as families, it's got to be way more than one out of ten. Come on. Let's say it's three out of ten, three times that. Or maybe four out of ten at least, right? Let's give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Even then, let's think about it. Even then, let's say it's three out of ten, four out of ten still. That leaves the majority of kids going home after church and not hearing about Jesus or how faith and following him matters in their home or in the rest of their life. It's nearly impossible to make faithful followers of Jesus if the only time that kids see or hear about Jesus is once a week on a Sunday morning or once every few weeks on a Sunday morning. Now, one of the objections I often hear to this sort of intentional approach to parenting is goes something like this. I don't want to force my kids into anything, right? I believe in Jesus, sure, but I want my kids to find their own way. I'm going to survey some different options for them. I want them to make the choices themselves. I don't want to force religion upon them. Okay, maybe some people in this room feel that way. Maybe a lot of people out in the world feel that way, right? We shouldn't force that sort of thing on our kids. They have to decide for themselves. Now, of course, kids, as they grow up, eventually have to make a choice for themselves, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Eventually, it has to become personal, or they don't believe in Jesus, and they go their own way. Eventually, they will do that. We, we can't control their choices, ultimately. We can't control outcomes. I know plenty of people that are godly men and women, godly parents who have done all that they can to raise their kids in the faith, and then the kids grow up and, and don't walk with the Lord. We, we can't control outcomes. We can't control our kids' choices. But that doesn't mean that we should just be totally hands-off in this area and say on these big topics like faith, like Jesus, who is God, what does that mean for your life? It doesn't mean that we should just leave that up to the kids and their discretion because whether we like it or not, our kids are going to be discipled somewhere. They're going to be discipled somewhere. Somewhere. They are going to learn about what's important in life, about what they are supposed to value, about who God is, whether there is a God, who Jesus is, what that means at all. Somewhere, they are forming opinions about life, about God, about why they're here, about what the good life is supposed to look like. Sometimes this is by, by teachers, by friends, 
by media, by celebrities, and it's not always bad influences, not necessarily bad. However, if all of these influences are forming and shaping and essentially discipling our kids, why in the world would we think that as godly parents, we could not have a primary role in that formation? Deuteronomy 6 says that not only are we allowed to have that kind of role in our kids' life, we are obligated to have that kind of role in their life. Especially while they are too young to make these sorts of big decisions on their own. Saying, hey, this is the way that our family is going to go. Realizing there might be disagreement, there might be disbelief or doubt or objections, and it's uh, important to have an environment where as families we can talk about those things and not just expect to, to force our kids into belief. But when they're little, training them, showing them, hey, as a family, we go to church. As a family, we are going to pray to Jesus and let that shape and form them, even though there's going to be dialogue and difficulties and maybe disagreements as they grow. And maybe this sounds fine in theory. Hey, great, good idea. But what does this look like in practice? How do we actually live this out? And that's why we wanted to roll out this Home Point initiative. We wanted to put resources in the hands of parents and families so that they can start to have some spiritual conversations in their home if they're not happening already. All right, good intentions aren't enough. We have to have a plan. How are we going to go about this? Forming faith in our Kids. And so the plan with HomePoint is that we have various resources starting today and each Sunday. They're going to be out there available in the lobby that are little uh, prompts or ideas about different activities you can do in your home, uh, especially if it's around a special time of year or holidays. Here are conversation starters you can have around the dinner table. Here are some ideas you can use to strengthen your marriage and grow intentionally with your spouse. Or as a single adult, here are some things that you can do in your home to follow Jesus there beyond just a Sunday morning. See, sometimes we want to have these conversations with kids or with our spouse. Sometimes we, we want to grow in our faith, but we don't always know where to start or how to do that. And so the idea behind this is just having a simple set of resources available that each month will, will change out, and you that month can take some of those cards home and think about how you could do that in your home. Again, no matter what your home looks like, whether you're single or have kids or you're married with no kids, or you're a grandparent, or you have, you're an empty nester, kids are out of the home, whatever your house might look like, these are opportunities to say, hey, can we do something intentional together to grow in our faith? A few more ideas beyond just the Home Point Resource Center, which I encourage you to check out. After the service, Pastor Lee is going to be back there, and Kim Funk has helped put that together, and they would love to share with you what that looks like a little bit more fully. But a few other ideas beyond just that. Uh, earlier this year, the Barna Research Group put out some research that was looking at uh, what makes a home a spiritually vibrant home. What makes a home a place where faith in Jesus is cultivated and nurtured? Like, what are the different factors that went into that? A couple things they found. The first thing they found, probably the biggest factor, was having a, a spiritual, they use the word coach, or we could use the word disciple, or someone in the home, an adult in the home, that took the initiative to 
form faith in their kids' lives or to initiate those conversations with their spouse. And that's, that's what we've been talking about already, right? That it's the parents' responsibility. It's our responsibility to lead that way in our homes. And so they found in homes where parents talked about their own faith, where parents um, brought the family to church, talked about the Bible together, read it together, talked about things like grace and God's forgiveness and Jesus. Uh, people who had that in their home were more likely to, to grow, for it to be a spiritually vibrant home if someone was taking that kind of initiative. Two other key factors they found. One, which I found really interesting, was that spiritually vibrant homes spent fun, quality time together. They were homes where there was laughter, homes that were playful, homes that uh, went on walks together, played games together, had fun together, had uh, good amounts of quality time together. And so it wasn't always just intense spiritual conversation. We're going to talk about Jesus tonight. We're going to talk about sin. You need to know this is very important. It wasn't just always intense spiritual theological dialogue. That has its place. It's important to talk seriously about matters of faith. Sure, but it's not just always turn up the intensity. It's showing the love of God, the gentleness of God, the joy of following Jesus, letting that permeate our homes. There's laughter and playfulness and jokes and games. It just highlighted the importance of being around one another, having quality time, which I know can often be difficult with how busy our schedules are, how quick the calendar fills up. It can be hard to, to carve out family time or time with a spouse, time with other people in our homes. But we need to do this because maybe you've heard this phrase before, more is caught than taught. Hear that? More is caught than taught. Which means often it's not just the devotional around the dinner table where we open up the Bible and talk about Jesus and give a clear, here's what grace is or here's what forgiveness is, teaching about those things. Those are important. But often... Kids and other friends are picking up on what they see in our lives. They're catching things from us as they watch us talk about other people, as they watch us engage with them, as they watch us go to the grocery store and how we treat the people at the checkout stand and how we talk to people nearby. They're, they're catching things and they're seeing in our lives how we conduct ourselves, how we go about day-to-day -day business. They're seeing what it means to follow Jesus. They're picking up on things about what it means to treat people and love people and what healthy relationships look like. So they're catching more often than those isolated devotional conversations. Again, those are important. We should be doing those. But our whole lives are speaking, and our kids and other people are going to catch that. Sometimes more is caught than taught. And so look again at Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. It shows us this, right? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so when are we to talk about the ways of God and the things of God? It says at home and along the road, when you're out and about, when you're running errands, when you lie down and when you get up. And everywhere in between. And so it's the idea of 
everywhere, whether we're out in public or private, at the store or at home, in our rooms or in the family room or in the kitchen, preparing a meal or running off to sports practice or whatever it might be. We have these moments that God wants us to use, even in simple ways when we go out for a walk and we look at the beauty of the world that God has made and that reminds us who he is and his power and his creativity. That can teach our kids. It can be a teachable moment. Or again, we think about how we treat people at the checkout stand or when a car cuts us off, how we respond in traffic. They're seeing that. Our kids are going to notice those things about us. And so as we just live life together and we're near one another, there's going to be ample opportunities for conversations that are meaningful to come up. So, having a spiritual coach in the home, having quality, fun time together, and the third thing that was mentioned in this research, which I found, again, really interesting, was that spiritually vibrant homes welcomed other people in. Spiritually vibrant homes practiced hospitality. Good friends would come over, people would come over for dinner, People maybe the family didn't know super well, they would invite in for a meal. There was a warmth there. There was a way that that act of welcoming someone in uh, allowed kids to see uh, what love for other people looked like, what healthy relationships were supposed to look like, what healthy conversation was supposed to look like between adults and families and friends. And so practicing hospitality in the home, again, whether you're... uh, single person, or you're married, or you're a family with kids, practicing, hosp- practicing hospitality can be a powerful example of God's love and grace. And, and practicing hospitality is not about having a big house and being like a five-star chef, okay? Practicing hospitality is simply about welcoming people in and loving them and making them feel cared for. You can do that with a small kitchen and a small house, It's more about a posture of your life and your relational nature towards them than it is about, again, how big or clean or special your house is. And so, we are to love God personally, Deuteronomy 6 says. We are to, verse 7, lead our kids to love God as well, impress these ways of God upon them. But I want us to see as well that we can apply these verses to our lives even if we don't have kids, even if we're not married. Maybe you're an empty nester, you're a grandparent, you don't have kids around you very often. Again, maybe you are single. We can apply these verses. Look again at verse 7. You can talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so, again, whatever your home looks like, whatever your home situation is, we can say, am I talking about the things of God there? Am I at home and along the road when I'm lying down and getting up on on the door frames of my house as a statement about what my home is about or when I'm out at the city gates, essentially out in public, out going about my business? Am I seeing the work of God there? Am I bringing the presence of God there intentionally? So you might not have kids in your home that you're impressing these ways upon, but still, are you living out your faith beyond Sunday? 
Are you engaged in Bible study? Are you spending time in prayer, living life in community, in a small group, practicing hospitality and inviting other people into your home who need love and friendship? So family is important. Raising kids is important and a gift, but sometimes in the church we have failed to honor singleness or we failed to honor uh, married couples that don't have kids and we've put family sort of up on a pedestal and almost turned it into an idol. And so it's important for us to say, yes, family is important and kids are a gift and this is an incredibly important part of our lives. But if you are single, if you don't have kids in the home, God still has work for you to do. God is at work in your life. And actually, you are uniquely positioned to serve him. Because as a single person or as someone who's married without kids, you have the gift often of time or the gift of flexibility, the gift of availability that often people raising kids don't have. And that is a gift for you to use to bless other people, to be a part of God's work in the world. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to know that God wants to use you. And God has you where he has you for a reason. See, I've found that as a dad, uh, often my time feels stretched very thin. And the other dad or parents can relate to that. I feel like there's just constant demands on your time, right? To keep other humans alive or happy or not crying or whatever. It just You're very squeezed with your time. I heard a comedian one time talking about this, and he talked about how as a parent, <clears throat> sometimes things that should not be things, things that should be simple, that we don't even think about, when once we have kids, they become almost impossible. And he talks about just how difficult it can be to leave the house. <laughs> Leaving the house with children. And the comedian goes on, he's like, this is what it's like to leave my house with a couple of kids, all right? We gotta be there in 10 minutes. Shoes, we need shoes on, go. Can we pack the diaper bag? Is there a bottle in the bag? No, there's, a, we need shoes. Where are your shoes? Go find your shoes. I don't know where your shoes are. You should know where your shoes are. Go get them. Where's, why are you hitting your brother? Why are your pants off? Put your pants on, go to the bathroom. We need to go to the bathroom before you go. Are there snacks in the bag? There's no snacks. Where's the car seat? I can't find the car seat. Sure. Why, your pants are off again. Put them back on. Let's go change your shirt. Why is there food on your shirt? We gotta put a nice shirt on you. Here we go, we're gonna go see people. Come on, we gotta be there in 10 minutes. Here we go, get the baby. Right, you been there? Okay, and then he contrasts this. He says, here's what it's like to leave the house if you don't have kids. I think we should leave the house. <laughs> and that's it. There's no more to it. And so, <laughs> seriously, this is true. You parents know this is true. And so the idea is, as a single person or as someone with no kids, you have a gift of time, a gift of availability, a gift of flexibility. Certain things are just frankly easier for you to do than they would be for a person who's married or a person who has kids to do. Your time is more available. And I, I want to be careful here because I know that for some, singleness uh, is difficult. Many of you, maybe you're single, you don't want to be single. Or you don't have kids and you wish you had kids. And so I don't want to make light of this. I know that for some that's uh, can be a difficult season of life. And so I don't want to 
again, just unnecessarily make light of this, but I do want to point out and encourage you with how uniquely positioned you are to serve God and be a blessing to others. Paul even speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he's talking about how married people have to worry about their spouse and be devoted to their spouse and see that their spouses are happy and growing and so on. They have kids to raise, we could add to that. But, but single people can have an undivided devotion to the things of God. And of course, we all are supposed to have an undivided devotion to God. But sometimes when you're married or when you have kids, it can get a little muddy in terms of what exactly does it look like to serve God and also honor my kids and, and love my wife well or love my husband well and how do I sort all that out? But when you are single, uh, there's a more singularly minded approach that's available to you. It's a little bit easier just to say, I'm going to be fully devoted to the things of God. I'm going to live in community. I'm going to love people. I'm going to show up when it's frankly hard for other people maybe to show up and get out the door. I'm going to serve and show up in ways that it's maybe difficult for other people to serve and, and lead. I'm going to view this season as a gift. And I'm going to give myself fully to God's work in my church, with my friends. I'm going to love them graciously. And let me just say that Amber and I have been so blessed. Our family has been so blessed by people who are single. Just they love us. They've shown up in so many ways in our lives. We are so, so grateful so, so grateful. Often single people have this capacity for friendship, this capacity to, to show up in ways that it's just difficult for married people or for people with kids to do. So, all that to say, no matter what your home looks like, whether home for you is just you, or you have a spouse at home, or you have kids at home, I pray that we will be a church that seeks to follow Jesus in our homes, to drive faith home, that we would see all of life belongs to God. And so Monday through Saturday in our homes is important to him, and we ought to be seeking him and growing in him there, and not just here on a Sunday. And so what I'd like us to do, I've, we have a little tool that we wanted to use, and when you came in and sat down, you should have seen a card that is a home point appraisal that looks a little bit something like this. And what we want to do is we want to ask everyone, everyone, okay, no exceptions. We want to ask everyone to please fill this out. And you'll see that there are different life stages on the card. There's an area for marriage. There's an area if you are a single adult. There's an area if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent. And this is an opportunity to do two things. One, it's for you to just intentionally think through your life in the past few months and are you pursuing God or loving your kids intentionally in the ways listed here? So it's a kind of an inventory for you to think through, how am I doing or how's our family doing in this area? The second thing this is helpful uh, for is we want to ask you to turn these in um, but they're anonymous. No names are going to be on these, so don't worry. Uh, if you turn them in after the service at the Home Point Center with Pastor Lee and Kim, we'll be out there. It would give us a good idea of just where are our families at and where are our people at? What are some areas of growth that we have as a church? And so, again, hopefully this is a tool for you to just evaluate your life, your home, your commitment to Jesus beyond Sunday. And it's a helpful tool for us 
as pastors and as a staff here to know how best we can resource you and support you. And so, take a couple minutes, fill these out, look through it, and then uh, in a few minutes, the band's gonna come up, we'll do a closing song. After the service, you can take your completed card out to the Home Point Center with Pastor Lee, and you can also there view the various resources that I was talking about earlier, different prompts and ideas about how to implement faith in your home this month. Sound good? All right, go ahead and fill those out. <clears throat>